Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your uh, constant faithfulness in every area of life. Um, I particularly think about that, Lord, as I think about the history of Maricopa Springs and how we began in a conference room at Global Water, and then from there we moved to Santa Rosa, and then from Santa Rosa a few years ago moving over here. We just thank you that every step of the way you've opened doors and provided for us. And we thank you that you provide everything that we need, Lord. The air that we breathe, the food that we eat, the, uh, the community that we need to belong to. God, we thank you that you provide all of these things. And we worship you that you are the creator, all-wise, all-knowing, sovereign God. And we thank you that you have made us aware of that truth. That we might seek your face and find in you eternal life. We thank you for the provision that you've made in your son Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins and the redemption out of slavery to sin and into your kingdom. And so, Lord, I pray that as we study your word this morning, that you would pierce our hearts with the truth, that by studying your word, we would be more conformed into the image of your son, that we would love you more deeply. And so work and move for Christ's sake. Amen. So hopefully you're in 1 Peter chapter 4, and uh, I want to remind you of something that I said last week, which is that Christianity is not primarily a religion of ideas. Our faith is primarily a religion of devotion, a religion of practice, a religion of action and obedience to God. Some people believe that Christianity is mostly just a bunch of propositions that people agree to. But actually, more fundamentally, Christianity is a way of life. Yes, as Christians, we do believe some fundamental and exclusionary truths about God. That is the facts. But those beliefs energize us towards a particular way of living our lives. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Peter's letter is full of details about how we as Christians live out that faith that we believe, following in the footsteps of Jesus. To be a Christian is to be saved out of your sin and guilt and saved into a new life where you actually follow the way of Jesus so that the beauty and goodness and truth of God is displayed in your life. So today we're going to get another kind of small glimpse into what that life looks like. So let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 9 through 11. And if you've got one of our Bibles, it's on page 955. Peter writes in chapter 4 verse 9, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Back in 2003, maybe you've heard me mention this before, I took a trip to uh, Pakistan. 
and I was there with three of my buddies. We were traveling through the uh, Hunza Valley distributing Bibles for a long-term missionary who was there. Basically, we were in the Himalaya Mountains. Uh, here's a picture that I took. Absolutely stunning, gorgeous. And we were traveling up through this um, valley and we were passing mostly through villages that just had a few hundred people in them. Um, and we wanted to get Bibles into the hands of as many people as we could so that they could read them and hopefully meet Jesus. And in many of these villages that we went to, there were no hotels. There was no place for us to stay. And so in order for us to not sleep outside in the cold, uh, we would just pray, God, as we walk through this village, you know, the sun's starting to go down, would you allow us to run into somebody who would be willing to host us in their home and, and let us stay with them? So here's another picture. Uh, I'm not in the picture because this is back before everybody had, you know, selfie sticks and things like that. I'm taking the picture. But you can see this gentleman on the left and the, the guy in the middle, these are Pakistani gentlemen that we met as we were walking down the street and our team was invited into their home. This home belongs to the gentleman on the left there and uh, they fed us. And after dinner, he said, where are you guys staying tonight? And we said, we don't have any place to stay. And so he let us stay in his home. Uh, he gave us his own bed and his own blankets and, you know, I think one of us slept in the bed and the rest of us slept on the floor. I don't remember who got the bed, but whatever. But can you imagine doing that to just like a group of strange men that show up in your city? Like, I don't know, you're walking out of fries and here comes this troop of boys and they're like, we don't have any place to stay. Can you imagine just saying, why don't you come over and have dinner with me and sleep in my own bed? I can't imagine doing something like that. Uh, I can say I've traveled all over the world. I've been to Africa, I've been to Asia, I've been to Europe, I've been to Latin America. And in all of those places, I have experienced some really incredible hospitality from people, welcoming us into their homes. You know, hospitality extended basically to total strangers. And it's actually a really stark contrast to America, right? Aren't you sitting here thinking like, that's a little weird um, that people act like this is strange. You know, in America, you can literally know somebody, maybe you even call them your friend, and you can know them for years or even decades and never enter into their home. Isn't that kind of amazing? You might not even actually know what neighborhood they live in. It's kind of incredible. The honest truth is American culture is just generally not a very hospitable culture. And uh, I don't mean that as like a slam, but if you've ever experienced other cultures, then you just know it's true. So it's good for us to reflect for a couple of minutes as Christians on what the Bible teaches here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality is an expression of love. It's an expression of generosity. It's one way to express what Peter wrote in the verse before. If you want to look back at verse 8, Peter says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. 
Isn't it interesting that he follows that immediately by talking about hospitality? To invite someone into your home and feed them and to host them in your private space requires a lot of self-sacrifice, doesn't it? And you might be thinking about the self-sacrifice that comes with, you know, putting out food and things like that, but it's much more than that. You have to give up your time. You have to give of your stuff, maybe your money to feed them. You have to give of your privacy, right? They're all up in your space in order to let somebody invade your life so that you can be together in your home. And I'm telling you, having tasted hospitality, mostly from really poor people all over the world, I can tell you that as Americans, we're just generally not great at this, are we? But for us as Christians, hospitality is a command in Scripture. Uh, This is not one of those optional things. You can read it right there in verse 9. In practicing the way of Jesus, we are called to be people who show hospitality to one another. Simply put, I would define hospitality this way. Hospitality is welcoming people into your space in a friendly and generous act of love. Now notice that I did not say that hospitality is welcoming people into your house in a friendly or generous act of love. Certainly one way to practice hospitality is to welcome people into your house, yes. But Christian hospitality is so much more than just putting out the cookies and the drinks for the folks that enter into your home, isn't it? I would say that true Christian hospitality is a bit like a hospital. Similar words, right? They both kind of come from the same Latin word. I would say that it has to do with sharing your heart, sharing your life. It's offering to others a place in your home and a place in your life that extends to them warmth, maybe healing. It's inviting. It's going so far as to not just bring people into your space, but to actually Knit your life together with other people in a way that encourages peace and friendship and mutual comfort and encouragement. To show hospitality is to love people in a very tangible way, isn't it? It's to use your home as a tool to extend to someone else love. You know, a couple of years ago, Leanne and I moved into a new home here in Maricopa, And um, we're blessed to be in the home that we're in. But part of our dream for that home was to make it into a space that would be filled not only with our immediate family, our children and, you know, our aunts and uncles and things like that, but that it would be a home that's also filled with our church family and a home that's filled with our friends And a home that's a place for our kids' friends to come and be present in our family. And we even gave our home a name. We named our home Endelande. Endelande. And if you don't recognize the word, it's because it's Elvish and I'm exposing my nerdiness. Okay? The name is Elvish and it means heart haven. Heart haven. We want our home to be a refuge for human hearts. 
a place where people can come and have their hearts ministered to, maybe bandaged up. We want the hospitality that people experience in our home to bless others and to minister to them. We wanted our home to be a place where we could practice hospitality so that friendships would be established and maybe marriages would be healed and our kids would be raised up under the banner of Christ and their friends, maybe who aren't believers, would taste the goodness of Jesus and that hope would shine bright in our home. We wanted our home to be a place where joy could be shared and even where sadness might find some comfort when people are going through a season like that. We believe that making our home a heart haven is an act of loving hospitality. So if you've never been to our home, here's the shameless plug. Come to the lunch next Sunday. Sign up through the app so that we know you're coming so we can have enough food and be good hosts. But I'm serious. You should come to the lunch. But the reason why hospitality is so important in the Christian life is because like all of our good deeds that we seek to do as Christians, we do them because they are a reflection of God himself. See, hospitality reflects God. The world that you live in, it belongs to God. And he has brought you into it. And hasn't he been so good to you in the space that he shared with you? Do you see the artwork, the sunrises and the sunsets? Do you see the beauty everywhere? Do you see the provision, how he has laid out so much to take care of you and to express his love for you? Don't you see the way that Christianity whispers of God's kindness and shouts of his glory? He has truly spread the table for us. And he has extended ultimately his heart of love to us by sending his own son into the world in the likeness of man. That we might see God and be drawn to him. And Jesus told us, that after he died and rose from the dead, he would go into eternity to be with the Father and he would go there in order to prepare a place for us. Isn't that interesting? Scripture tells us that right now, Jesus is practicing hospitality in heaven in eternity as he prepares an eternal place for you with him. So when we open our homes and our lives up to others, we're practicing selfless love and generosity. We're reflecting Jesus through our hospitality. And to do this without grumbling, I think, means that simply the action that we display externally is truly aligned with what's going on in our hearts internally, okay? In other words, it's not just, being the, it's not just the act of being hospitable that matters, it is also the motivation present in our hearts that is important. If you were to honestly ask yourself, what keeps you from being hospitable? What would the answer to that question be? I think more than likely the truth is not that you're incapable of sharing your home. Your house is not too small. It's not too dirty. It's not too far away. The truth is you don't want to. You don't want to open your home to other people. What if you come into my space and you ding up my drywall and you scratch my paint? 
and you stain my carpet and you see my dirty, unmopped floors? What if I host you and after you leave, I've got all the dishes to do and extra work to do to clean up? Or what if you stay too long and you infringe on my bedtime or my free time, right? Really sharing your heart with people beyond even all of those, you know, material considerations, the hospitality that extends my heart to you uh, is even more risky, isn't it? Because that comes with all kinds of potential pitfalls. It can get complicated. It can be costly. You might come into my home and you might witness me speak in a way that's inappropriate to my children that doesn't reflect well on my character. You might interfere with my life and my routine. You might just get a little bit too close and that's uncomfortable. And so Peter addresses the underlying issue around our reluctance to be hospitable when he says do this without grumbling. One of the reasons why we don't practice hospitality is because our hearts are simply not in it. And again, the remedy for our hard heart The remedy for our selfish heart is to look to Jesus. Jesus came to us with a message of hospitality. He said the kingdom of God is open to people like you. Come into it. Enter into the generous kindness of God. You are welcome into the heart of God himself through Jesus who has made a way for you. And there's a sense in which we can say that that act of hospitality by Jesus was risky, right? He knew how it was going to play out. So I'm not talking like theological God's sovereignty type stuff. I'm saying that as a man who extended the hospitality of God to humanity, what did it cost Jesus? It cost him his life, right? God sacrificed much to love us. And if we've received so much from God, can't we sacrifice a little bit to extend that generosity to others? I would think so. Now, one more quick point here, and then we'll move on. Part of keeping Peter's command to show hospitality would be that we also do that here at church on a Sunday morning. Don't you think so? You know, almost every Sunday, we have some new guest or visitor come through our door. Almost every Sunday. And the truth is, they are interrupting our family gathering, we could say. They're coming into something as foreigners. They're strangers among us who are friends. But the generous heart of God extends to them as well, doesn't it? And it extends to them through us. We are the tangible way in which the hospitality of God can touch the stranger's who enter into the church in unfamiliar ways. And so I would ask you to practice hospitality, not only in your homes throughout the week, but here on Sunday as well. Seek to show kindness to the strangers that walk through the door. Even look around the room right now. Are there people whose faces you don't recognize? Well, extend to them the kindness of hospitality. And I would ask that you would do that so that people who join us as guests would get a small taste of God's generous love that's also generous towards them. 
You could help these people figure out what's going on and what they should do next. You should ask them their name and maybe get to know them a little bit. Maybe, maybe you find out something about them that you're like, oh, I know another person here who has that same thing in common. Let me introduce you. Help alleviate some of the awkwardness. Have you ever felt awkward walking into a new space and you're like, what am I supposed to do here? It's even more awkward when there's a hundred other people in the room and they all seem to know what's going on, right? And, and we can do this so that even if they choose to come back because the preaching is bad or the gym smells bad or whatever it is, at least they cannot say, nobody there was friendly. Nobody there showed me the kindness and hospitality of God. If you're interested in doing that in a more formal way, we've got a hospitality team. You can talk with uh, Rachel Duguay or you can talk with Eric Crudup. Um, they help lead that team. So if you want to do that more formally, you can. Okay, now verses 10 through 11. Peter changes the subject a little bit, but he only changes it a little bit. He says, each of us has received a gift, and therefore we should use that gift to serve others. Now, the connection to hospitality is that hospitality can be said to be a gift of the Spirit. Some people are really good at welcoming others. You ever been into somebody else's house and you're like, wow, you really like rolled out the red carpet for me. I can't believe it, right? Some people are really good at that. But the bigger principle here is twofold. First, God gives spiritual gifts to the church. He distributes those gifts throughout the body according to his wisdom. Which means that if you are a Christian, you have spiritual gifts. And you have those gifts so that you can contribute. Now, I don't have time to go into a lot of detail to defend the claim about you having spiritual gifts. So if you want to look into that, you can read 1 Corinthians 12. And I think you'll find more details there. But here we find Peter giving a few examples of spiritual gifts, right? He mentions hospitality. He mentions speaking. I think I would say preaching or teaching. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. And he mentions serving. And I like the fact that he uses hospitality and serving here because in these verses, he also tells us that we're all supposed to do these things. Serve one another. Show hospitality to one another. In other words, Peter is saying, look, some people have gifts of these things and they're going to do them exceptionally well. But even if you don't have a gift, there are things that you are supposed to do within the body of Christ regardless. All of us are supposed to practice the way of Jesus together, which means that we should be producing the fruit of the Spirit in community with one another. Some other gifts that we find in Scripture would include giving or generosity, mercy, wisdom, knowledge, faith, leadership, intercession, discernment, evangelism, shepherding, exhortation, teaching, right? All of these things God gives to his people so that they might function together as a body. And this brings us to the second principle of what Peter says in these verses, which is that we've received these gifts as stewards. These gifts are not yours to keep for your own purposes. They are to be used in service to God to bless the people of God. 
Friends, you actually have something to contribute to the body of Christ. There are no spiritual gifts of selfishness or consumerism or spectatorship. Those are not listed in the New Testament. The Spirit gives gifts to each of us so that we might give them away to others. And so I would ask yourself, I guess I would ask you, what gifts have you been given? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Have you ever even thought about that? And if you don't know what those gifts are, how might you find out? I think there are ways to find out. But you need to find out so that you can take those gifts and you can use them for the good of other people. Peter says these gifts are given by God's varied grace, meaning they are various. God has given a variety of gifts and he's given some to you. So that in our community, the body of Christ might work together and function as one whole. You do understand that we don't function at full capacity without you participating. I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty obvious that we need your gifts around here. Like, don't you think Maricopa Springs could be a better church? I, I, I would like to think you think it's a decent church or you wouldn't come here. But we could be a better church with your contribution. We have lots more work to do. And we will do that work much better with you contributing in some way. You want to know a little secret? I actually don't like public speaking. Like even as I'm up here right now, I'm thinking about like my hands are on the podium and am I pacing, am I wiggling too? I don't like public speaking. I almost failed speech class. But, and you know, I stutter, I say stupid things, I feel awkward, whatever, I get anxious. You know, if I have to stand up in front of people and talk about anything other than Jesus, I hate it. But I'm convinced that actually God has given me a gift of teaching. You know, I'm not, good, I'm not as good as some of the YouTube people maybe that you watch, but I'd like to think God has given me a gift of teaching. And I would like to think that the kingdom of God is a tiny bit better because I am faithful to take that gift and use it so that you might benefit, so that I might serve you by using the gift that I have been given. And I want to be found to be a good steward in the sight of Jesus Christ. I don't want to stand before him on that day when he says, Grady, I gave you that gift of teaching. What did you do? And have to say, well, you know, I, I buried it because I stutter sometimes and I say really dumb things and I feel really uncomfortable. No, I want him to say, I gave it to you and you used it. Well done. And I can't help but wonder, wouldn't the kingdom of God also be a tiny bit better if you took that gift that you have been given and you used it? Wouldn't it be wonderful for our church to say, I'm so glad that you are using the gift because I have benefited from that. You know, I know that Gabe's gift of evangelism has led people to Jesus. And I'm so glad he uses that gift in our community. I know that Catherine's gift of administration has made our church's communication significantly better. Can you imagine what a disaster it would be if I was still doing that? 
And we've got a whole team of people who use their gifts of just serving. And they show up here every Sunday to set stuff up. Eric and Aaron and Ron and Chris and Robert, and they help run things behind the scene. And you probably never even see them engaged in things. But they make all of this possible. Rick Soltes isn't here, but he's got a gift of knowledge. Have you ever been envious of his gift of knowledge? Well, he uses that gift to teach men theology and equip them to know the scriptures better. My wife has a gift of shepherding, and so she helps disciple other women. And Meredith has a gift of leadership, and so she is equipping, galvanizing our women's ministry. And I could go on and on and on. And if you're sitting here and you're like, how come you didn't name me, Grady? I'm part of this. I see you. I know you. I could name lots of names. So it's not personal. Don't worry. I know what sacrificial labor of love you give to contribute to our body. Okay? I'm grateful for your sacrificial love for the people in this room. And more importantly, Jesus sees the work that you're doing. And that's what really matters. So press on. The point is this. We all have gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. And we've been given them to serve one another, to bless one another. And so I hope that you'll get on the field. I hope that this will be one of those sermons where you don't walk out of here and you're like, oh, that was cute. You know, what's for lunch? I hope that hearing this, you will ask yourself, what are my gifts and what am I doing to use them for the good of the body? Get on the field with us. Serve alongside of us. Our church and the kingdom of God will be better if you are a contributing member. Now, I want to travel down one little detour before I I get the, the conclusion, talking about the glory of God. Look at verse 11. And believe me when I say I cut a lot of things from this sermon. So I'm being gracious. Look at verse 11. Peter says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Man, I want you to reflect with me for a moment on what Peter is saying here. I think that to speak the oracles of God in the new covenant era in which we live is to teach the scriptures. And I want you to understand that's why we take preaching so seriously here at Maricopa Springs. Don't you think that to look into the oracles of God, the the declaration of God, the revelation of God, the secret, mysterious things of God is an all-important thing? I do. Preaching is not the only way to teach the scriptures, but it is one of the most significant ways. It's been central to the church since about 33 AD when Peter gave his first sermon at Pentecost found in Acts. And I don't want to slam other churches, but it is a tragic reality that many pastors today do not see themselves as proclaiming the oracles of God when they preach at church on Sunday. And this is probably because pastors know what it takes to keep people coming. And what do most people want when they go to church? They're not all that interested in understanding the word of God better. They want to be entertained. They want to be amused. They want a guy who's as good at communicating as this dude on YouTube that they watch. But preaching is serious business. Because in preaching, we are proclaiming the truth of God's word. We are proclaiming the revelation of what God has spoken in his word. 
Now, that doesn't mean that sermons can't include some humor or some good motivating illustrations, and I wish I was better at that. I'm constantly trying to become a better preacher. But a lot of preaching these days sounds more like a TED Talk, doesn't it? A lot of preaching these days sounds like your therapist or a life coach or a motivational speaker. Some preaching sounds more like a stand-up comedian or a fireside storyteller. Is that what proclaiming the oracles of God should be? I don't think so. Now, I never want to be boring. I don't think preaching should be boring. Like, if a pastor is trying to be boring, shame on him. But the truth is, I don't have any good advice for you. I have no good advice for you. What I have for you is the word of God that I believe is full of the word, the words of life, the words that lead to Jesus, the divine and holy oracles of God. To stand in the pulpit in front of the body of Christ and proclaim Jesus is risen, Christ is Lord, These things are of the utmost seriousness and importance. And far too many Christians want preachers who are just good and winsome communicators rather than biblically faithful teachers. Far too many people when they go to church want their preacher to be a student of therapy instead of a student of theology. And that's not what we're doing here. The most important thing is not that you're entertained, but that you are fed the spiritual food that is needful for you to find the grace of God in Christ Jesus. You need spiritual food that is found only in the wisdom of God's word. And that should be what pastors are giving to their flocks in sermons. So that you are tantalized and hungry to leave this place and go search out these oracles of God yourself in the scriptures that you have. So I guess I would just say at this point that if you ever leave Maricopa Springs for whatever reason, okay, if you ever leave our church for whatever reason, I hope that you will search out another church that handles the preaching of God's word with the seriousness that it demands. Don't go to a church where they don't ask you to open your Bible on Sunday morning. Don't go to a church where they're doing a teaching series about the latest blockbuster movies. Don't go to a church where the preacher thinks that he can give you some better information on a screen than he can give you in the text of the Bible. There's no better information. Don't go to a church where the pastor makes much of you instead of making much of Christ. Go to a church where the word of God is central to everything that they do because they understand that God's word leads us to God and to life and to righteousness. Everything that you need is found here in Scripture. Now Peter ends our verses for today by saying in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter's desire is that our love for one another, our hospitality, our use of our gifts to benefit each other in the body of Christ would all happen so that God is greatly glorified. 
How is God glorified through Jesus Christ when these things happen in the church? Well, because the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus, becomes your life and my life, our lives in practice, proving that Christ is with us in the Spirit. He's the one that energizes the body of Christ and makes these things take place. God is glorified through these things because they're not human. They're supernatural. They're divine. When the church operates this way, it's the, to the praise of the glory of God because it is Jesus Christ giving spiritual life to his people. But I want you to see a slight shift in the language here, and I promise this is where I'm ending. First, notice that Peter says that we should do these things in order that in everything God may be glorified. God may be glorified. Then Peter says, to him belong glory and dominion. Here's what I want you to understand. It is God's right to be glorified. And God will be glorified. Because he has all dominion and all power and all authority and all wisdom, because all things serve his purposes, God will be glorified. All the glory in heaven and on earth for all eternity, from time immemorial to forever infinite in the future, all of it is to the glory of God. For Peter, The glory of God is not in question. The question is only, what role will you play in God receiving glory? Peter tells us to do these things. He tells the church to operate this way so that God will be glorified, rightly praised and honored by the people who are called by his name, who've been redeemed out of sin and darkness by his grace. And we, as Christians, find pleasure and joy and purpose in committing our lives to bringing God much glory. Walking in obedience as an act of love. But if we don't do that, God is not diminished in any way, don't you see? To him belongs all glory and dominion. His glory is not diminished by our, in, our unwillingness to do these things. But if we fail to walk in the way of Jesus, who suffers? We do. We miss out. We lose out on the joy of being a vessel for God's glory. We lose out on the wonder of being used to advance his kingdom and spread his love. We lose out on the The glory of being told by God, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've used these gifts of grace as a good steward. We lose out on the intimate connection to God's power and his love in fellowship with one another. So don't you see, it's not even for God's sake that we are being told to do these things. Yes, that is true, but it's actually for our sake That God would be glorified through us and our lives. God delights to generously share his glory. That's how big God's hospitality is. That God will actually share with you his glory. And it's all his. It all belongs to him. But he's gracious to share it with those who obey him in loving obedience. 
So let's do everything that Scripture commands, brothers and sisters. Let's be obedient to the teaching of God's Word so that God may be greatly glorified in us and so that we might rejoice in the glory that He chooses to share with us. And since God has shown us this great hospitality, since God has shown us such great love in the cross, since God has shown us such great honor that we would be called children of God, and such grace in the gift of the Spirit that he has given to us, having received then so much from him, let's be the kind of people who simply surrender back to him everything that he is worthy of. Let me pray. God, proclaiming the oracles of your word is no small thing. It is a task far beyond my ability. So I pray that through the gift of your spirit, you would bless your people here this morning, that they would receive this teaching, that it would change them, that they would seek to show hospitality by your grace, that they would use the gifts that you have given them for the good of the body, and that we might Be eager to see you receive all glory and dominion through our own lives. Not just in the world and in eternity, but through our own lives. Would you do this work in and through us, I pray, Christ Jesus. Amen.